Previously on Snicktoons, I was joined once again by my good pal Ryan Sanio of the Sanio cast to help me break down X-Men the Animated Series Season 4 Episodes 20 and 21, which were the final two parts of the four-part season finale, Beyond Good and Evil. So again, Beyond Good and Evil Parts 3 and 4. And that was an interesting season finale, especially because it was originally written to be the series finale, and then halfway through production, they received word that the network ordered more episodes, and so they had to scrap a lot of what they had and kind of put some of the pieces that they did have into this new puzzle that was what the episode ended up becoming. So really interesting episodes. Of course, before that, we talked video games and tabletop games, particularly card-based games. It's always a fun conversation when Ryan is on. So if you haven't listened to last episode, make sure you go back and check that one out. Of course, stay tuned for more as myself and a returning special guest break down X-Men the Animated Series Season 5, Episodes 1 and 2 on today's Saturday Morning Snicktoons. All right, Bub, as you heard at the top of the show, we are back with a returning special guest. I'm really glad to have this guy on because the last time he was on, we were kind of talking about some things that had been announced, some upcoming releases of a particular product, and uh, something in that time has changed. So I'm really glad to have him back on so we can kind of talk that over. So I am welcoming back Quinn Hesters. Quinn, welcome back to Snicktoons, my friend. Hey, how are you doing? (laughs) I am doing all right, my friend. All right, so so like I was saying, last time you were on, which really wasn't that long ago, I think you were on for the Morlock Christmas episode, which was, I think, the last episode before the season four finale. So we're kind of bookending the finale of last season with Quinn appearances, so that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But either way, uh, last time you were on, we were talking about all of the upcoming X-Men-related Lego releases really wolverine releases at this point (laughs) they're the only one that they're really covering there but you know this is this is a wolverine show so yeah exactly so it works it works um but yeah and i think we were both on the same page like i had asked you which one you were most looking forward to and that was the collectible minifigures and and i was right there with you especially with the beast Uh, but we were also talking about the fact that they had announced that they were going to release a wolverine cowl in the helmet line. But of course, leaks have happened and and not even leaks like the official pre-order is up on lego.com as we speak and it's been revealed that it's not a cowl, it is Wolverine's adamantium claw. So, were you surprised when that news dropped like when those leaked images came out and then seeing that on the Lego website? Yeah, but at the same time it kind of makes sense. Um I guess because like they've done the Infinity Gauntlet and then they did like the regular one and I think they did the sort of Iron Man one mm-hmm. uh, with all the stones on there. So it's interesting. This is kind of in the same vein as that, but yeah, I definitely did think that it was going to be a cowl. Yeah, 
Yeah, same here. Um, it, it, it made sense, right? Because they've got the Star Wars helmet line. They've moved into Marvel with that. They've done uh, a recent release, I think this year, the Star-Lord helmet. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, they've also done um, a Spider-Man. And, well, no, they've done Venom and Carnage. I don't yeah. even know. Did they do a Spider-Man? I actually can't remember. I don't know if they have. I, I know they did Iron Man. That was yeah, Iron Man, I'm yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I was like, all right, well, the the Wolverine cowl, I guess it's somewhat iconic. You know, it's no one really wears a helmet like Wolverine, I guess. Um, if you saw it and it was, you know, yellow and black or, or whatever, it would be recognizable oh, and, and all that. That'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, Magneto helmet is like, that's one they absolutely have to do. They have yeah. to do a Magneto helmet. It's the most iconic, like, headwear in Marvel. Agreed. Agreed. And especially with like how important it became in the Fox X-Men movies where it wasn't just a helmet. Like it wasn't just there for aesthetic purposes. It had a purpose, like it blocked out telepathy. Uh, and it was something that at least when they first hinted at it, that Xavier and Magneto had built um, Cerebro together. And so Magneto was able to block himself from the telepathy using the helmet. Um, I don't recall that was really ever a thing in the comics, um, up until the movies. So, like, yeah, it's definitely an iconic helmet in the Marvel Universe, but especially within the realm of the X Universe. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was, I was a little surprised when it was the Wolverine Claw, but I think it looks really cool. Like, I thought they did a great job with the, like, the blue glove and then the claws themselves. Like, they look yeah. really cool. They're using kind of that, like, silvery, um, like the plastic, like the silvery plastic, yeah. uh, that looks pretty cool. So there's going to be like a shine to it as well. They're not just using like light gray or something. So I, I really like that, that they're doing the the claw. Of course, I've got one on pre-order, and I'm really tempted, depending on how the first one goes, if I can do it without the claws coming out and I can actually have uh, like the index finger up, I might get a second one just so I can have the full glove of claws and then the other one with the, like the finger, like the beckoning finger, <laughs> like we had on uh, the cover of Wolverine number one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um, and then we did get some details uh, regarding the collectible minifigures. I'm not sure if you've heard any of this, uh, any of this stuff, Quinn, um, I haven't heard anything. Well, YouTube new. channels I follow, I follow like uni bricks and, Brick clicker. Okay. Um, so we're, we're starting to have like information of like what accessories each of the characters are going to have with them uh-huh. in the collectible minifigure. And so it kind of sounds like Wolverine isn't really anything special. He's going to have his claws. He's going to have his helmet and a hairpiece. So, you know, normal Wolverine. They and need then, to do the, they need to do the picture. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be the funniest <laughs> thing that to, to just the picture of Gene <laughs> with like part of it torn off. Yes, uh, especially if they're basing this off X-Men 97 because yeah. it's in continuity, you know? Um, yeah. So, so, yeah, that would make perfect sense. Um, but it sounds like now it's just another Wolverine in a blue and yellow suit, and he's got his claws, and he's got a cowl, and he's got a hairpiece. Uh, but one thing that they've announced that um, I don't know if it's been confirmed as of yet. I think it's only been leaked but like I was saying, I follow Unibricks and I follow Brick Clicker and there's a couple other, uh, I think it's like Just Too Good is one. There's, there's a handful of 
like Lego leak YouTube channels, and they've all been kind of covering over the last few days the collectible minifigures. And one thing that they've said is Wolverine is going to have a I don't understand what they're saying here, but they said it's a buildable glasses case that supposedly is going to be a headpiece for a new Sentinel. And if you also are able to get Beast and possibly Storm, that it'll have the rest of the pieces. So if you collect all three of the X-Men characters, you'll also be able to put together uh, like a, a brick-built Sentinel figure. I'm trying to imagine what that would look like for yeah. the pieces that they could fit in like uh, just individual packages like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, if it ends up actually being brick-built, uh, I can't imagine it's going to be very big, right? Because each of these collectible minifigures, they're only going to have, you know, a handful or less of extra pieces in there. So I I don't know what it would be. It might just be um, like a, a minifigure that you put together, and then it has like an extra buildable thing that you clip onto its head or something. Uh, yeah. You, you know, something like that. Not quite like the brick-built Sentinel that we got with the Blackbird. Nice. And then um, the Beast is going to come with a brand-new hairpiece that is blue, obviously. Um, and then he also is supposed to come with a mug, a yellow mug with a red X logo on it. And then the Storm obviously has the, the Mohawk hairpiece uh, based on her design for X-Men 97. And then, of course, the white costume and then, like, a white cape all right oh and uh and lightning as well yeah yeah makes sense <laughs> so, so i'm pretty excited i am pretty yeah. excited for those i kind of want to get two storms and even though it would be the same costume do the normal hair for the you know original animated series and then one with the mohawk for x-men 97 yeah Cool. Well, I mean, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, as far as like getting caught up, we still don't have um, a release date for the Wolverine buildable figure. Uh, it looks like the collectible minifigures release date is somewhere around September 1st. The um, Wolverine Adamantium Claw, of course, is an August 1st release. It's already up for pre-order. And then there was a leak, and I don't know how accurate this one is, but it was for the X-Mansion. It was a, a price and a piece count but no other additional information right now. It's looking like the price is going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 us dollars. And we're looking at about 30, I think it was 3,200. It was like 3238 um, as far as the piece count. So about 3,200 pieces uh, and about $300. And I think previous leaks said there's somewhere between like seven and nine minifigures. So so we'll see if any of this stuff proves to be correct. But usually these these leaks are relatively accurate, not always 100% accurate, but usually pretty close. Like they're usually in the ballparks. So I could see it going up or down, you know, another 50 bucks, maybe uh, a few hundred more pieces or something or, or less, but somewhere around there. So that's, that's what we're looking at. I've still got my, my fingers crossed that we'll start actually getting leaks of the set and, and a little bit more detail soon. But I, I think at this point, it's still supposedly a 2024 set. So I doubt we're going to get a whole lot more information about it this year. Yeah. I guess we'll see. Yeah, I'm, I'm really curious about what the Sentinel looks like. Like I, 
I haven't really heard of them doing anything like that with any of the other collectible minifigures. There hasn't been like a sort of thing that you construct like that. Right. Yeah, it's uh, something new for Lego, and it seems that for the CMF, it's only with the three X-Men. Like, they didn't do a buildable, uh, I'm forgetting the dude's name now, but, like, we're getting a Moon Knight and a Mr. Knight, but they didn't give us a buildable... Uh, Conchu. The, yes, Conchu, thank you. Um, they're not giving us, like, a buildable Conchu. Um, we're getting, like, a Hawkeye... And um, and a, a Kate Bishop Hawkeye. We're also getting Echo, although I think the Echo design is from the upcoming Echo series. But like, we're not getting like a buildable Kingpin in his like Hawaiian shirt thing that he was wearing, which would be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like we're not getting a, a, a buildable character from the other parts, you know, of like the because I think there's a, a handful of series that have ones coming out. Oh, and, and one other rumor I heard, too, for the collectible minifigures is originally they were saying it was a Kang, a Quantumania Kang figures coming out, uh, but it looks like that's actually wrong, and it's a giant man from um, a What If episode. But I think it's like giant man from What If Season 2, which we don't even have a release date for that yet, so I don't know what the deal is with that, but that seems to be the consensus, is it's not a Quantum Mania Kang. It's a what if Giant Man. So I guess we'll see. They they did like nothing for Quantum Mania. Yeah. They did one build, buildable figure and they're like, okay, that's it. They could have at least done like a buildable Modoc. I don't know. So, so that you wouldn't have to get like the big expensive one. You could probably like add hair to it and it'd probably look pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that we didn't really get a whole lot of Quantumania sets. We really didn't get a whole lot of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 sets either. Yeah. I think I saw, like, two or three, maybe. Usually yeah, it three seems minutes. we get, yeah, three sets, yeah. And it seems like usually we get, like, a full wave of, like, five, sometimes six. I guess, well, the Avengers ones would get, like, five or six. But, yeah, I guess the smaller movies. Yeah, three seems good enough, I guess. I would have done more, I think, because, yeah. I don't know, I think, it's weird, like, they had four for Eternals, so I feel like for Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy with, like, a whole lineup like they have, I don't know, it it would have made sense to do more. It would have made sense to yeah. do, like, maybe the hallway, have the uh, high evolutionary in there, because we didn't get a figure of him for some reason. Huh. They just did Adam Warlock as, like, the one bad guy. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll see what they do for the Marvels. So far, it seems like we're only getting one set for the Marvels as well, so it's going to be up there with, like, Quantumania. I don't know if they just expect that kids aren't, like, kids don't want Lego sets for these movies anymore. I don't know. Um, I don't know what the deal is there. Yeah. But, I, uh... No, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, I kind of tapped out a Secret Invasion. I haven't checked it out yet. Because uh, I just saw about, like, the the AI intro, and I'm just like, I'm kind of burnt out. Maybe I'll get to this <laughs> later, but... I don't know. I think maybe I've finally, like... I'm just 
lost a bit of interest in the MCU, not like entirely, but just maybe until they do like the Fantastic Four or something mm-hmm. like that. I don't know. It's been a lot like it's been the more I read like comics for a lot of these different characters, the more I'm just like, hey, they kind of got that wrong or they did that differently. <laughs> like the like, more huh. the more I read like Moon Moon Knight, I'm like, wow, this is this is a lot better <laughs> than than the show ended up being. <laughs> yeah yeah it's I've, I don't know man I don't know what it is because I've I've been kind of down on it since since last year like I, I was expecting to walk away because I was already starting to lose some interest before Infinity War and Endgame and you know the, those movies combined like they, they exceeded my expectations I was like I hope it just goes out and I'm satisfied and then I can walk away from the MCU, and instead they're like, "No, you're not going to be just satisfied. You're gonna you're gonna love these movies because they're awesome." And then after that, I was like, "All right, cool. Like now I don't feel too bad about walking away from the MCU because of like what a finish for the first three phases. Like what a way to cap off this whole story. This was awesome." And then I wasn't even planning to watch like WandaVision or or any of the other ones. And then the uh, the Evan Peters thing kind of pulled me in, so I started watching and. It was better than I expected. And then most of the stuff I feel that came out that year was pretty good. Like most of it met or exceeded my expectations. Some of them I thought kind of not quite, not very good. Um, but most of it, I was like, all right, this is actually a lot better than I expected. And, and I think it's going back in the right direction. And then last year, like, I don't know, everything disappointed me last year and, this year, like, I haven't really been interested really in anything. Like, I don't even have Disney Plus right now. Uh, when when the Ahsoka series drops next month, I'll probably sign back up so I can watch that. And then I can get to because I haven't had Disney Plus since January. So I, I haven't been able to watch Mando's season three yet either. Um, and I'll probably watch Guardians volume three. But Guardians I don't know if good. I'm. Yeah, like I'm, I was looking forward to that one. I like James Gunn, and I like the characters that he that he that he's built for Guardians. I know that they're like very different than the comics and all that, but I've liked how he's portrayed the characters and the way the actors have played them. It's been fun. So that one I'm I'm looking forward to, and I do want to watch that. But I don't really care about Quantumania or Secret Invasion uh, or Loki season two or any of this. Um, although I, I was, I have to admit, like I was pretty excited seeing the, uh, the Wolverine in his yellow costume set pictures or yeah, set leaks from Deadpool. Uh, oh, yeah. that was pretty cool. I, I enjoyed those, uh, those leaked photos that those were pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. And, and, and who knows, man, like all of this stuff that's currently in production, like how much of this is going to be delayed. I know that there are already huge delays anyway from the writer's strike, but like with SAG also on strike now. Um, and it seems that like neither of these are going to be resolved anytime soon. We don't even know if the stuff that we have set up to release next year at this point is even going to like, from what I heard is like even the production of Deadpool had shut down. Um, so it's looking like they'll probably have to delay that one. And they just moved it up to May, and it looks like they might actually have to move that one back as well. And and like the SAG strike might lead to further delays. So I I don't even know at this point, Quinn. <laughs> yeah, I think they just kind of need to slow down. Yeah, it's probably for the best. 
but I do have like a whole pitch for for like a third Ant Man that I'm gonna write down. I, I don't I don't usually get into like the, the whole like rewriting films or kind of like thinking that you know better than like people who write these things, but I don't know. I have I have like a whole idea for it that would be all about aim and would be bringing back a lot of the characters from the last two movies and kind of being more of a continuation and having more interest in the the characters and what drives them and you know Scott feeling like um, diving more into Scott as a father and his fear when he was in jail of like missing out on his daughter's life and then now he actually has missed out on a large chunk of his daughter's life and she's Mm -hmm. unfazed by it but he's like oh my god I hardly even know her anymore um doing things like that because I felt like Quantumania didn't really have anything going on between all of these characters. They're just kind of around each other. They don't, I don't know. I'd, I'd play, I'd play into different dynamics and different hmm. characters viewing each other different ways. And, uh, nice. like Janet trying to live vicariously because she missed out on her daughter's teenage years. So she's trying to, um, connect with Scott's daughter and all these different things are happening. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, that already, like, you, you haven't said a villain, you haven't said a conflict or anything, you've just oh, said, it's, like, it's, it's Modoc and on these Monica Rappuccini, and it's going to be all aim, and oh. we're going to have Eric O'Grady in there, and he's going to be, like, a foil to Hank Pym. He's going to be this guy who is on the job that he did, like, way in the past. Mm-hmm. Like, he'd be a professional thief, uh, like Scott, and he would have... <laughs> He would have been on the job that Scott was on when he got arrested. Like he would have betrayed him and like been like, "Sorry, sucker, <laughs> sold you out." And so he would be the reason that he was in jail. So they'd have this personal connection. But then he would become this new Ant Man for AIM, and he would be going around doing crimes as an Ant Man, and the public would kind of turn on Ant Man. And so I've got that whole idea there, and a part of it would use. In the first Ant-Man, they had Hydra get away with some pin particles, and they just never resolved that. They didn't explore it in the second one. They didn't explore it in this one. So that's something that I'd bring back. There'd be a lot of tying things together and bringing back characters, bringing back the crew, because they forgot about them in this third one. And they'd have, like, a whole heist, and we'd have, you know, two of the members talk about, like, oh, yeah, could Sam Wilson as the new Captain America beat, like, a... The Russian guy would bring up Red Guardian, and he'd kind of be like a fanboy for Red Guardian, and he'd be like, "Oh yeah, I could beat him." And then, like Scott would bring up, like, "Oh yeah, Sam Wilson is like the first superhero that I fought," and they'd be like, "Wow, it sounds like you fight more superheroes than supervillains. Like, what's your deal there, man?" <laughs> it just they just have like little conversations, little things like that that just go on and connect things, but also have it work as like a standalone movie. Dude, that like. That sounds a million times better than everything I've heard about Quantumania. Yeah. That sounds so good. Yep. So I'm going to write all that down, and I'm going to probably put it on the website that I do writing for. Dang it. (laughs) Gatecrashers.com, or gatecrashers.fan is what they're called. That's what it is. Nice. You're going to have to look for that, and you're going to have to post a link to it in the Discord when when you finally do. That sounds awesome. Like, that's that's what fans want, is like... We we the reason why the MCU became so popular 
is because they made the fans care about the characters, not necessarily their legacies, not the spectacle. I mean, the spectacle is cool because in the first three phases, especially like the special effects were excellent. Um, so like it, you wanted that big action movie and you got it. But the reason why you kept coming back for more is because you cared about the characters and they took these character moments. And it just seems like that's something that they've lost because they they keep it's like every character is like the same kind of sense of humor where it's just like all these jokes and stuff. And they've kind of lost the like the banter and the bickering that you would have from individual characters with their own specific personalities. I don't know. I don't really know where I'm going with that, but yeah, I, I, your idea is like, it's perfect. Like that's what I would have wanted from an Ant-Man three, especially because I loved the first Ant-Man movie and I actually really liked Ant-Man and the Wasp. I know that that was like one of the lower rated MCU films, but I really liked that one. Uh, it's like they, they added more to the family dynamic. They, they added a little bit more to the lore. They didn't really do a whole lot and it kind of left it wide open to, to go back and explore the past. I really like your concept of, um, having this, like this other Ant-Man guy and like Hydra escaping with some pin particles and like possibly that being something that AIM is now using, um, especially because it puts Janet into having to um, like go on almost the same kind of mission. That was the mission that got her stuck in the quantum realm anyway. Yeah. And and now she has to face that fear because now her daughter and like her surrogate granddaughter kind of are going up against that now. And it's like, she just got her daughter back who's an adult. And like now she has this new kind of granddaughter that she can kind of make up for lost time with, like you were saying, uh, man, I just like the, everything about your pitch is what I would have wanted from an Ant-Man three. Thank you. Not not Quantum Mania. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I I don't know. I just felt like they didn't have really any ideas for it. They're like, we're gonna have King, but he's not actually gonna do any time travel stuff in this movie. We're just gonna <laughs> imply that he did. And so I'm just like, yeah, you know, it's. I mean, maybe it's easier to say with hindsight, but I, I would have just not done King there. I would have saved him more for the big Avenger stuff. And this movie, I just, I've been reading more and more Ant-Man stuff uh, just to get in that mindset and just thinking like, oh yeah, there's Whirlwind. So I'd have Whirlwind be like a beginning bad guy. And they'd, there'd also be this whole thing where they'd aim would uh, kidnap Bill Foster like, Bill Foster would get caught in between the snap at some point. Like, uh, he'd get separated from uh, Ghost. And so he'd be brought back into this, and he'd actually get to become Goliath near the end there once they break uh -huh. him out. And there'd be this whole plot. And also, like, uh, a big part of, like, Aim's plan would be to control insects and, like, uh... Monica Rapacini would say, like, oh, yeah, you know, everyone knows about Hank Pym, the uh, physicist, but no one really thinks about his work as an entomologist and the ability to use in insects, to, the ability to control insects and, like, what they could do for that for evil. Like, they have this whole plan about using bugs to, like, disrupt agriculture and, you know, that they can be used to disrupt basically anything in the world. Um you know, surveillance, military, 
Like, if you control all of the insects in the world, you have the biggest army in existence. And so that's, like, their their end goal there. And then it would be a lot of stuff in, like, the regular world, but then they would find out that, like, the big aim base is in the quantum realm. And so, like, they're trying to figure out where on Earth it is, and then finally they get to the conclusion that, no, it's not on Earth at all. It's in this other tiny microscopic realm of existence and they like beam out of there and so <laughs> ah, that sounds so cool so much cooler than what we got <laughs> yeah and then the crew gets to dress up like aim aim guards the uh his whole heist crew they get to do a heist aim <laughs> i think get to wear the beekeeper suits like i'd bring that back i'd be like yeah they did all this stuff with aim like since iron man 3 i'd dress iron man 3 but be like yeah they've now I've done all the stuff in the comics, so it's not just a think tank. It's like this whole organization of eccentric scientists doing all their evil science stuff. Nice. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Dang it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I was hoping we would have had like a natural segue into our top five, but... Unfortunately, none of, none presented itself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, how would you like to move into our top five and and kind of knock that out? I know that you had you you had an idea for one, and I thought, oh, this is going to be easy. And then when I sat down to do it, it was so much harder than I I was expecting. So, um, do you want to introduce your top five and and get us started with your number five? Sure. So uh, what we have here is the top five non-homo superior X-Men. So basically that rules out anyone who is a member of homo sapiens superior. Uh, they can be like a mutant, but a mutant among a different species than ours. So like they can include aliens, uh, things like that, mystic beings. So for number five, I put Phantom X, which is weird because it's kind of debatable in the Morrison run. Phantom X is like, oh yeah, I am a mutant. We be and uh, later on, <laughs> later on, uh, later on, I think they said that he's not a mutant. That he was in fact completely manufactured by Weapon Plus, and he's sort of his own thing, made it out of science. And I just think he's really cool. I just think it is really funny how he pretends to be French because he thinks that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone's just like, what's wrong with you, man? Like, what's... It's like, I got the baguettes. I... Oh, I, like, I know that he that he's not actually French and that he, like, he chooses to speak that way, but I wonder, and do you ever remember reading a scene where, like, he and Gambit are together and he's kind of mocking Gambit as like fake French <laughs> because he's a Cajun. Like, I feel like that would be awesome. And then Gambit would point out like, dude, you're not even like, you yeah, just, you're, not even, you're not even French. You just use a, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like when I hit you, do you say owl like a, like a French person or like a non-French person? <laughs> Phantom X. Nice. Love it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know that he was kind of like presented as like and like like a more evolved mutant even. It was kind of like how he presented himself throughout the Morrison run, but but yeah, you're right. I feel like maybe it was in the Remender Uncanny X-Force um where we kind of delve more into Phantom X's like 
origin and we kind of learn like, yeah, he was just straight up manufactured in the world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. That's a great pick. Thank you. For, for me, for number five, I, I went with Shatterstar. Um, cause I know that he's not a homo superior, uh, but I feel like he and Longshot are sort of mutants. Um, but again, not, not straight up homo superior. So I, I felt like that was in your, uh, in your wheelhouse. But yeah, I, I just went with Shatterstar. Um, he's an interesting character. I, I feel like maybe one of Liefeld's best creations when he was on the X books. And I, I guess that's kind of like a dubious term, right? Like one of his best creations uh, implying that all of his creations are good. Um, I should say one of his good creations uh, there, there's only like a handful of contributions to the X universe. I feel are actually good um, from Liefeld. And I feel like Shatterstar is one of them. Like he was interesting uh, when he first came into the X force, that first run, um, even after Liefeld leaves the book and it's like Nicieza's on there. Um, and he kind of brings in Shatterstar. And then what Peter David did with Shatterstar during the, uh, the whole X Factor investigation stuff, I just really liked it. And Shatterstar is one of those characters where I never expect that I'm going to like him. And yet when I read stories that he's like a major part of, I actually really like him as a character. So, so he ended up being number five on my list of, of non homo superior X characters. I think he might have a little homo superior in the uh, Dazzler side. Mm. Him. Yep, yep, I don't know. Yep. I don't know entirely like how that family tree works because it's more like a <laughs> it's more like a wreath, I guess. Something like right. that. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's like he's his own grandpa or something like that. Like I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I know for sure that that long shot isn't. Uh, d- is no part human. Right. Yeah. Unless through the paradox, he is. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> anyways, uh, my fourth one was danger. Uh, I think Ooh. it's interesting how basically everyone who tries to kill the X-Men eventually joins the X-Men. So <laughs> of course that would apply to the room that tries to kill the X-Men as well. Uh, <laughs> I think it's wild. I feel like Whedon was just trying to be like, what's the most Morrison thing I can do here? Like, what's the, the most <laughs> absurd? Like, okay, the room, the room joins the uh, joins the X Men, <laughs> or the room tries to kill the X Men and then has like a uneasy alliance with them and then eventually joins them after that run. <laughs> oh, Danger, man, that's a great pick as well. I I really like Danger. Um, I remember reading that particular storyline in the Whedon run and being like, what the heck is this? Like, this is how you follow up the first arc. Uh, this is what you give me. Like, this is weird. Uh, I don't like this. And then, like, rereading the arc a few years later and being like, man, this is really good. I really like this. I like how you put it, where you tried to out Morrison Morrison. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but, like, that's, yes, that's exactly it, Quinn. Thank you. Like, I've never heard that articulated. That is exactly what the arc danger is. It's Whedon out Morrison-ing Morrison. (laughs) Yes. Because the the whole concept of danger, like, that's exactly the kind of thing that Morrison would do. Like, he's really, like, Morrison is super famous when he's on a big two book for, like, deconstructing and putting in all of this, like, dark, uh, 
I don't know, behind the scenes stuff. Right. And like making you hate all these characters that you used to love because secretly they were actually just jerks. Um, and, and Whedon did that with danger and Xavier and like after danger joins the team, she's really cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, number four for me, I had to go with everyone's favorite green booger dupe. Uh, <laughs> I love dupe. Um, uh, he's great. And not necessarily like during the, all the ecstatic stuff, like, some of that, some of those storylines are just like way over my head. Um, it, it's hard. Like, I like some of them. It's hard for me to get into others. Uh, I just, I feel like it's so much, like, it's just, it's so far over my head. It's all like really heady stuff sometimes. And, uh, I, I, I don't love all of the ecstatics, but when Brew was the, I don't even remember what his job was, but like when he had the job, I guess, as like, I don't know. I don't even know what he was like host <laughs> receptionist. I think I reset. That's probably the closest to what he for, did. Right. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So the receptionist of the Jean Grey school in the Wolverine and the X-Men Jason Aaron run, um, that was when dupe really like cemented himself for me as a character that I actually really love. Um, and then the Wolverine dupe story from Darwin cook, that was awesome. I love yeah. that. The, with the pink mink, like, I know it's, it's not really everyone's thing. Um, but I, I loved that, like, little two issue story. Um, and, and this is the whole story with the pink mink. I just, I love dupe. And, uh, especially in that story, he is fantastic. So, uh, dupe is my number four non homo superior X-Men. All right. I was kind of wondering if he is, cause like, I've heard some people say that he is. I've heard some people say that he isn't. Um, in Ecstatics, they're like, he was an experiment from the Cold War, or Captain America says that, I think. <laughs> but the whole thing is that he's just like this man blob of, like, mystery. <laughs> like, everyone falls for him, and he's just, he's done everything. Uh, three, I've got Juggernaut. I mean, don't you know who he is? He's the jugger- <laughs> Juggernaut. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think he's a great foil for Xavier. Like right off the bat, how uh, Jack Kirby and Stanley were like, "We need this brother for this intellectual guy in the wheelchair," and they're like, "Okay, we're just gonna make like the biggest, most unstoppable piece of meat, like that we can have." Just this giant, like man built like a brick house, and uh, I think it's always interesting when the comics are sympathetic of him, like when they're mm-hmm. like, "Yeah." Maybe the reason that he bullied Xavier was because, like, he was bullied himself by his father. And maybe he can have a redemptive arc where he helps out a, a fish boy named Squid Boy, <laughs> even though he looks like a fish instead of a squid and he doesn't have tentacles or anything. <laughs> the name doesn't make any sense. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that, Chuck Austin? Why are you, are you bullying me? <laughs> and anyways, yeah, I, I, I do like when he has redemptive arcs and he's... He's going to join the X-Men. He's, uh, I mean, he's joined the X-Men before, but he's going to be on, like, the, the newest Krakoan team, I believe. Oh, interesting. Interesting. He won the vote. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I, I'm still... I, I'm at the same place I was, like, a year ago 
maybe a year and a half ago with the Krakoa era, which is like we're leading up to the Hellfire Gala. I'm like, I'm right there. I'm so close. And yet I still haven't like read any more of the, of the Krakoa era. Um, but like the, the juggernaut stuff that they were doing that was running like concurrently with like the first wave, like the pre first Hellfire Gala was like trying to make him a villain again, but it didn't really seem to work. And there was like this girl character, I think that was like, you're not bad. And he's like, Oh, um, so that's the last I've seen of Juggernaut. So it's cool to hear that he's like part of the team now that he won the vote and he's like fighting on the good guy side right now during the Krakow era, especially because he's not a mutant. So that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. They, I think they did a lot of stuff with the Simon Spurrier run, but I haven't mm-hmm. been able to read that. The Simon Spurrier's newest stuff uh, is Krakow and stuff. It's like across two different books and it's mostly about Nightcrawler. Oh. Oh, that's another thing. Nightcrawler is going to become a Spider-Man. Oh yeah, dude, I heard that. I yeah, I heard that he he was going and he was going to be like in New York as like the newest Spider-Man, the uncanny um, Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. I was like, all right, whatever. That's okay. <laughs> it's, it sounds fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like Nightcrawler's fun on his own as a hero. Like he 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 really gets to lean into like his whole swashbuckling side and. Spider-Man, I guess, is like a relatively swashbuckly type of of hero, you know? Um so I guess that works. Like it kind of fits Nightcrawler's whole mode and all that. And like are they does that mean they're moving him away from like the way of X father of the mutant religion type thing now? I think so, yeah. Okay. All right, cool. Yeah, that that was all right, but not the best. Yeah, I I thought it was enjoyable, but at the same time, I just had trouble getting into it. But let's see. What's what's your number three? Number three for me, um, I feel like my older son is going to be disappointed that this guy's not number one on my list, but I'm going to go with Deadpool. Ah. Um, Deadpool's one of those characters that, like, throughout the 90s, even throughout the 2000s, like the early aughts, I wasn't really a huge Deadpool fan. I'd read relatively little Deadpool. And it's one of those where it's like, I don't know if I'm like, it's not that I'm ashamed to say it, but like, I didn't really become a Deadpool fan until the movie. Um, because the, the first one, especially like, I loved that movie. And like, that's kind of what made me go back and read some of the, was it, uh, I, I think it was Brian Posehn did, did some stuff with Deadpool that I thought was pretty cool. Um, and then from there, I kind of went back and read a few other, um, like, major Deadpool stories and it was like all right I actually like comic book wise like I actually do like this character he's pretty cool um he's got like a really great legacy he's been around the books for a while I know that he's like a fad character um and so he kind of ebbs and flows in his popularity based on other stuff um but yeah like it's it's one of those where it's like I am kind of ashamed to say but it really was the Deadpool movies that made me like a big Deadpool fan and um, he has climbed up my list quite a bit. Um, so I actually have him as as number three on there. I actually really liked him in Remender's Uncanny X-Force as well. Um, I don't know if I read that. I think I actually did read Uncanny X-Force before the Deadpool movie came out. So maybe Uncanny X-Force is when I became a Deadpool fan, um, especially with his like antagonism of Phantom X. Um, I, I really did like Deadpool in that run. So maybe that's where my fandom actually started, but 
it was cemented with the movies. Nice. Nice. Uh, for number two, I've got Brew, because he's just a precious little guy. Um, I think I brought it up in an earlier episode where we were talking about, like, next generation characters, but I... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just adore him. Um, he's he's basically the next generation version of both kind of like Warlock and that his mutation makes him like the only nice member of his species. Like basically his whole species thing is that they kill and they kill and they kill. And he's like, I kind of don't want to do that. I just want to vibe and be a vegetarian and stuff. And he's also <laughs> like, he's also like the next beast. And then he's just yeah. this joyful, like little intellectual guy. <laughs> Oh, excellent. Excellent pick for number two. <laughs> and uh, I have to say that number two on my on my list is also Brew. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and yeah, I think we did talk about him last time because we both had him on our list of like top five characters introduced like after the 2000s or, or it was something like that. It was like teenage characters introduced after the two thousands or, or something. And we ended up both having brew on our lists as well. Um, but yeah, I, I also went with number two uh, brew for every reason that you said uh, he, he's great. I, I, I love him so much. Uh, again, it was the, the Jason Aaron Wolverine in the X-Men run where he first meets ID and like, Falls in love, it's like, you know, love at first sight. And he's like commenting on like the, the physiological changes that he's experiencing where he's like, mm, my heart rate seems to be increasing and I seem to be putting out more, uh, sw- you know, from my sweat glands and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, he's like, what, what could this possibly mean? It was like, it's, so, it was just so adorable, so cute. Um, and, and yeah, and he, I don't know where he is, but last I heard he's been like, co-opted by a non-X book and like I really I, I need Brew on Krakoa like please tell me Quinn the Brew is on Krakoa um I don't know if he is I no. I think the last time he showed up was like in a sort of cross-promotional thing where they're doing X-Men and also Captain Marvel at the same time but I haven't I haven't read it yet I keep getting behind on things because like I I now do editing for that website that I mentioned and I edit all the Marvel stuff, but at the same time I've got edit I've got access to like all the Marvel comics and so I'm just falling behind on things because there's like such an overwhelming amount of stuff. <laughs> I'm like, how do they do it? How do they <laughs> Maybe that's how things like slip through the cracks editing wise. But... Yeah, uh, that... <laughs> sounds yeah. like a good problem to have though. Yeah, a lot of Krakow has been good to like a lot of characters, but a lot of the Jean Grey school characters like have gotten things haven't been so good for them. Uh, ID got arrested and then put into the pit and then escaped. Uh, Nature Girl became like a eco terrorist, but like in a weird way where she doesn't like try to kill CEOs or anything. She just kills like working people and she's just like evil. Oh, no. And like, I, I don't really like that. And then iBoy tried to stop her, and she like ripped his arm off and made him bleed to death. And I'm like, oh my this gosh, is, this is what? this is X Men Green, which is the Infinity comic. And I'm just like, this is. I'm not usually like a negative person, but I just really don't like this. I don't like what they're doing with her. Oh no! They kept setting up outs to like make it so that maybe she was brainwashed, and then they keep going back on that and be like, no, that was the real Nature Girl doing that and then 
even like she has a conversation with like the manifestation of Mother Nature, and then she gets. But there's there's that, and then there's yeah, uh, Bruce like up in space. Quentin kept dying, and then now there's a whole thing going on with him in X Force. He's like ancient now. He's an old man. Interesting. Uh, it's it's a lot. The the kids aren't all right. <laughs> Dude, it sounds like they're not. Holy cow! Yeah. What about uh, what about um, oh gosh, Beak and Angel? Because I remember like one of the earliest arcs of New Mutants when they were like switching off between Hickman and Brisson. Um, that they did an arc where they brought Beak and Angel and, like, their 800 kids, you know, that they finally got them onto Krakoa, and then, like, I didn't hear anything. Are they all right, or are they also not doing all right like the other kids? Um, I think they're doing all right. I think they showed up <laughs> in, like, some of the Infinity comics where they are doing fine. Um, okay. <laughs> shoot, uh, maybe, maybe they killed Beak in that one. Oh, no. But he came back. He came back. It's okay. They're all good. Oh. <laughs> they got the resurrection. Oh my gosh! What are you doing to me over here? I'm like, no. <laughs> like my all, Quint, all my Quentin was dead girls. for good no. for a few months. Jeez. I, I say that with air quotes because you know nobody does <laughs> oh, yeah. comics. He was like out of the picture for for a while. Wow. Huh. Nice. So if so, if Quentin's old now. Does he have like a beard, but his beard is pink? Yes, he does. Nice, a giant beard. <laughs> yeah, like <On> they <laughs> they establish in X Force, I think that he got it changed through the resurrection protocol so that his hair is like naturally pink. <laughs> cool, cool. Because you see him like originally dye it in the first arc with them, and so now he's now he's just born with pink hair. <laughs> Oh man, that's that is on brand for Quentin. That is classic. I love it. <laughs> yep. Let's see. All right. So yeah, that should, that should take us into our number ones. So let's hear it. Okay. Uh, so number one, it's it's Warlock. It's he's the reason why I was like, yeah, I I instantly have to get these two episodes because he's just. I love how Bill Sienkiewicz was like, I'm just gonna make a cartoon. I'm gonna make this character like basically this this sweet little Roger Rabbit sort of thing if he was if Roger Rabbit was a transformer uh, <laughs> and he could just like turn into anything and I just I just love that about him I love how he's always got like his eyes popping out he's always like tendering around I love how there's not really wrong way to draw him like anyone can draw warlock you just do the, the eyes and the smile and then the, the big sort of like wires like hair uh, and I just love how he's this this powerhouse, but he's also just a good friend for Doug. You know, Doug isn't always able to fight real good until they retcon that into being part of his language powers. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's always cool how he would, like, protect him, how he'd form, like, a suit around him and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Now, let, let me ask you this. As a Warlock fan, and especially someone who likes the Warlock and Doug friendship what are your feelings on Doug Locke from the late Excalibur, like what, like Excalibur, like in the eight, uh, 80s, 90s, and, and 100s, I think, is uh, I around? I haven't read it yet. Oh, okay. I've, I've right. heard some things, though, that, like, they kept it really ambiguous about 
what Douglock's whole deal was before eventually deciding that he was Warlock. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I think that's what it finally was. It's it's hard to remember. I, I don't know if they they even knew at the time. Yeah. Or not. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. And they're like, we'll just throw this thing in there and we'll figure it out as we go. And then they just didn't. And they're like, oh, shoot. Um, it, it's Warlock. <laughs> yeah. Nice. All right, cool. I like it. Warlock, number one. Yeah, Warlock was one. It, like, I didn't read the New Mutants until I was, like, well in my 30s. Um, and I was expecting that I wasn't going to like it because it was a book about teenagers. And I generally don't like stuff about I know this sounds weird as an X-Men fan. I generally <laughs> don't like stuff about teenagers. Um, it seems like every teenage X-Book seems to be like the exception that, that proves the rule. Um, so I don't know why I was skeptical about New Mutants when I finally got into it. But, like, I loved that whole series. I loved it in the Claremont days. I loved it when Wheezy took over um, all the way up until, well, all the way up until Liefeld. And then it became something completely different, which, you know, which is why they changed the title and all that. But yeah, like Warlock is one of those characters that I didn't think I would like. And I really enjoyed the Warlock character, uh, but he does not make my top five. But I'm glad to hear he's your number one. He's he's excellent. I thought he was going to be the one. <laughs> yeah, you're going to hear my number one and be like, oh, dude, that was kind of a cop out. Um, I think you'll be disappointed <laughs> with my number one. Um, but Warlock was definitely one of the names that I wrote down. And then I also felt, I'm like, is that too on the nose since we're doing the Warlock episode? Maybe. And I think ultimately that was what kept him out of my top five list. Uh, he probably should be on here. Like he should probably be number five at least and like knock Shatterstar. Uh, but I think I, I ended up keeping Warlock off my list because I thought it would be like too easy with us doing the, the Warlock episode. But you're absolutely right, man. He is such a great character. Yeah. Here's your number one. <laughs> so so prepare to be disappointed, not just Quinn, but all my listeners. Uh, Quicksilver. I'm disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I told myself I wouldn't be, but... <laughs> I mean, I guess. <laughs> I went with Quicksilver um, because... Like I'm still like he shouldn't be on this list. He should still be a mutant. He should still be the son of Magneto. That whole retcon crap that they pulled a few years back. I'm totally against it, and I don't think they've rectified that since. So, yeah, he's my favorite non-homo superior X-Man. Like I have him number one on my list, almost out of protest. <laughs> so there is a reason behind it, and of course, you know, I like. I've had the Peter David X factor in my mind all year long. I covered the entire initial run that he did um, back in March. And I, I talked about the fact that like he made Quicksilver. A, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that they made him a sympathetic character. Cause I don't necessarily like he wasn't a villain, you know, um, but like they made him almost likable. Um, they at least, Peter David at least made Quicksilver a character that was worth rooting for. And I don't really think he's been done justice <laughs> since 1993. So for like the last 30 years, um, other than in like the X-Men movies, he's like, yay, there's that one cool scene in Days of Future Past where he uses his super speed. And it's better than the Flash that we got in 
uh, not the Flash. <laughs> it's better than the Quicksilver that we got in Age of Ultron. Um, it's better than most and of the Flash, the Flash scenes we got in the CW. <laughs> uh, it's better than like Sonic in the Sonic movies. Um, although the one Sonic scene at the like at the tavern, like total Quicksilver homage, so that was cool. Um, but yeah, so that's why I went with Quicksilver as number one, like almost out of protest and solidarity with Peter David. Um, more like more than I actually like the character as number one. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, some other names that I thought of putting in there is Amanda Sefton, though I haven't read a lot of her stuff like as as magic. I heard that she okay. was magic at some point, uh, and that sounds kind of cool, just like her sister, or not sister. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why he always like introduces her as his sister. Like, just don't do that, dude. Just be like my childhood friend or something. Uh, <laughs> But anyways, like, she's cool, and then I almost had Warbird on there. Uh, mm. Someone reminded me, like, yeah, she was there for, like, uh, Amazing X-Men and some other stuff. I think, like, some astonishing stuff she was around. Uh, but she's cool as, like, kind of a counterpart to, to Dupe. Mm. They're such a power couple. <laughs> My OTP. <laughs> But yeah, those were like the two other ones I was thinking, and I was like, uh, I'll, I'll just put Phantom X for five. Nice. <laughs> nice. Those are pretty decent uh, honorable mentions. Um, I also had Phantom X and, and, of course, Warlock as on my list as, as honorable mentions. I had Lockheed on here as well because I love Lockheed. Um, and then I had Captain Britain because I'm just I'm a huge yeah. Excalibur fan, love Excalibur. Um, and so I'm, I'm a big fan of Brian. Is he still, um, oh gosh, what was he going by? Cause he's Captain not Captain Britain anymore. He, who was he? No, not Captain Avalon. Or maybe. Yes. Yeah. Captain yeah, Avalon. Yeah. 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 Thank Thank you. Um, yeah, I think he is. Yeah. I'm, I'm behind on the, the Captain Britain stuff too. Yeah, okay. yeah. That so far, like pre hellfire gal. Cause I know that like things kind of change after that. So, I, like, I don't know. I, I guess you can call it like Krakoa phase one, um, which is like up to the first Hellfire Gala. Excalibur is one of my favorite titles. Yeah. Uh, had... Excalibur and like Marauders, I think, are like my two favorite titles. Yeah. They, I think they had official names for them, but I can't remember ones like Dawn of X and then like mm -hmm. Reign of X. And then, That's but okay. I can't remember exactly how like they're divided, like when one begins or the other ends, but. They they have had it though, so that like certain creators can carry things over, even if they're starting at a new number one. Oh, okay. Um, like so, they had uh, Excalibur for Teeny Howard, and then she had Knights of X, and then that continued over into uh, uh, Captain Britain, Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain. So like, she's been able to tell that story across like three titles, and then mm. same thing for Simon Spurrier. He started on a. Uh, what was it? Uh, Way of X and then uh, Legion of X, I think, was one of them. And then I can't remember the latest one that he did, but it it leads into Nightcrawler being like, "I should I should piece out of here. I should become I should become Spider Man." <laughs> There's a lot of Spider people. I could do that. It can't be too hard. Just imagining nice. like what the criminal's uh, first thought would be like, oh, Spider-Man's 
can tell Spider-Man can teleport now or Spider-Man has a German accent now. <laughs> Which one's like, more surprising? <laughs> spiders when did spiders grow tails? Like this is weird. Um or use swords. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Cool. Well, uh this was a fun top 5 and and like I said like it was one of those where when you first pitched it I'm like, "Oh, easy. Like have there even been five non-homo superior X-Men?" And then just like jotting down like 15 characters, taking a bunch of them off the list being stuck with, like, nine, and then trying to whittle that down to five, this was actually a lot harder than I was expecting, like, much more challenging. So awesome top five choice, Quinn. (laughs) Thank you. All right, so I think we can probably jump into our episode breakdown. What do you say? Yeah, let's go. All right, Bub. So for today's episode, well, episodes, I should say, we are covering X-Men, the animated series, season five, episodes one and two, the Phalanx Covenant, parts one and two. Um, so these episodes written by Stephen Melching and uh, Dave McDermott, I think, uh, directing by Frank Squillis. So Larry Houston has now left the show. And Frank Squillis, who was line producer and who I believe for the episode is actually still credited in like the opening credits as line producer. Uh, it's actually the director and that is Frank Squillis. Uh, both of these episodes aired together on September 7th, 1996. And before we jump into our breakdown, Quinn, I have to say, I think these are the last two episodes I remember seeing on TV. I don't think I ever saw any of the rest of season five on TV as they were coming out. I think these were the last two that I saw September of 1996. I would have been in sixth grade by this point and waking up early on Saturday mornings was no longer a thing that I was able to do. (laughs) Like I was up till like 4 a.m. on Friday nights at this point in my life and so, like, Saturday morning, waking up and, and seeing stuff, that was not something that I did anymore. And I think I saw these ones in, like, afternoon reruns. Um, and they were the last ones that I saw on TV. I would have been an actual baby then. <laughs> I would have been less than a year old. Oh, dang. <laughs> I mean, at least nice. I'd be alive, but, like... <laughs> Yeah, wow. Yeah, I'd be uh, I'd be 11 and a half years old at this point. <laughs> yeah. I'm still glad that I got into TV though before they like stopped having commercials and stuff. I was watching a bunch of commercials earlier on YouTube oh, man. that violation <laughs> from like the year 2000. I'm like that's awakening like ancient memories. Oh, dude, if you want to see good TV commercials, you got to watch like GI Joe, Ninja Turtles, uh, X-Men, uh, like Transformer, like toy commercials from the late 80s and early 90s, those are some pretty wild commercials. Or any Burger King Kids Club commercial from like 1990 until like 1993, dude, those were some some awesome commercials, man. Like those those commercials were wild. <laughs> I'll have to check them out. <laughs> I've mostly been doing like early 2000s stuff and just putting it on in the background. Uh, <laughs> Let me ask you something. Is is the intro different here? I it's different, right? Like they Yes. Is this the first time that they did it? 
Um, so I know that they've done like the electric guitar music. Uh, they started doing that. I want to say like almost towards the end of season three, I think is when I first remember hearing it. But as far as like the actual animation, um, yeah, this is the first time I think where they've changed up uh, like the the character animations and stuff, and the like after they introduce all the characters and it goes to like the montage part, it's definitely like actual I think like actual footage from like episodes, um, which is slightly different because I think usually it's like she's running like there's a scene where like Jubilee's running and she comes up to the like metal like the the chain link fence and then it like switches to Beast and he's in like what appears to be, I don't know, like a, uh, oh gosh, what is it called? Uh, like a landfill, it almost seems. Like he's in like a landfill yeah. and like a spotlight gets on him. And then they actually do have a scene from the episode, from like the final decision, um, the season one finale where like Rogue kind of like body slams a sentinel. Like I feel like that was in an episode. But yeah, I think you're right. I think in this one, um, it's different. It's a little bit different. Like they don't have like the part with like the blackbird flying and, and like you zoom in through like the windscreen and all that I, yeah. I feel like those pieces were missing and there were other pieces in in its place yeah I could definitely tell the music sounded like slightly different mm-hmm. <laughs> than, than what I'm used to there yeah it was like definitely a lot more like electric guitar kind of riffs right like I don't know if that was like changing with the time or what because it's the, still the same, like still the same chords and all that, but it was definitely like it definitely had like a lot more electric guitar um, kind of feel to it rather than just like normal, I don't know, '90s rock guitar. I don't, I'm not really a music guy, so I'm sure I'm getting all of this wrong, but yeah, like the original version, it was like heavy on the bass and stuff, and like this one seems to have like a lot more. I don't, I don't think riffing is the right word. Like I said, I'm not a music guy, so I have no idea. But like, it definitely felt more electric. Yeah. <laughs> like more extreme. Like the, pit, like the pitch was a bit higher and something. Yeah. It feels like. And... Well, by by the mid '90s, right? Like we're like extreme. Like the X Games are super popular. We're like at the height of extreme culture. Like I feel like we're only like a year away from like Surge, the the soda Surge, you know, coming out. Um, <laughs> like it's a little bit different time than it was in, in September of 92, like four years later, it, it feels like it's a little bit different. Yeah. <laughs> nice. All right, man. Well, why don't you, uh, take us away, kind of walk us through this opening scene or two and, and, uh, get us going. Okay. So we start out, uh, seeing some cops around a calamari truck. And Sabretooth just, like, rips his way out of there. <laughs> and uh, Beast and Jubilee are on the way in the X-Jet and the Blackbird. And Jubilee is just like, why doesn't Sabretooth get a life? <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just love how much disrespect this teenage girl has for, like, this, this serial killer. <laughs> like, what a loser. Like, what an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Such a dweeb, you know. There's <laughs> nothing better to do. He has no life. Uh, <laughs> and we learned that Xavier specifically asked that Wolverine not go on the mission uh, because Wolverine's not going to take um, them taking Sabretooth in. He's going to lose it. And the cops are yelling, put me down, put me down. And Sabretooth lifts two of them up 
and then it, it's something you don't really notice in kids' cartoons until you you hear about like all the sensors and stuff like that. But you realize that he doesn't do anything with them when he lifts them up. He just like lifts the cups up the ground. He doesn't like throw them or anything. He doesn't like actually try to do anything to hurt them. He just like picks them up. Uh, <laughs> and standards and practices just makes you make the rest of it up in your head as you go. <laughs> but Beast uses a tranquilizer gas from Blackbird on everyone, and they just leave. They don't even we don't even see them leave the X jet. <laughs> I mean, I guess you're just not supposed to think about it too much, like whether or not that's just a thing they can do all the time. <laughs> yeah, they just like come through and crop dust the like intersection, and then I don't know, beam up Sabretooth, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so we get a clarification that the sedative is supposed to work on Sabretooth for another eight hours, but then he awakens as mysterious circuitry appears all over his face and all over the different consoles in the mansion. Um, and so meanwhile, Jubilee is loudly telling Storm all about how they got Sabretooth locked up, and Wolverine is like, What? You're keeping who? <laughs> and here, where is he? Uh, Jubilee's like, oh, my bad. I didn't mean to do that. But it's just, it's it's pretty funny there how she's just, she had one job and she, <laughs> she yeah, talked and about Sabretooth really loudly in front of Wolverine. That's <laughs> like, it messes it up within like, the first 10 minutes. <laughs> like, yeah. she probably left the plane, found Storm, and then immediately told her. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Wolverine isn't having any of this. He wants to see Xavier <laughs> find out where this, this run, well, he's the run, but, you know, where Sabretooth's being kept at so he can uh, not cut him up and not actually do anything violent to him. <laughs> um, so then we go to the, we go to the Jim, where we see that Xavier's not skipping arm day, and he's like <laughs> really buff. He's like he's doing all kinds of crazy gymnastics on these gymnastic beams, and he like flips up, and he like goes onto his chair uh, like it's absolutely nothing. <laughs> and I'm just like, whoa, okay. He, I, I get it. I get why he's so ripped. Yeah. Yeah, he's, like, pretty strong core, too. He's, like, doing crunches, uh, like, leg lifts, uh, but, like, you know, obviously his legs don't work. So all of that is, like, core, and he's still able to swing him up and everything, like, perfectly. Like, dude, this this dude's pretty ripped. <laughs> like, they never really, uh, you never really get to see, like, how cool Xavier can be from, like, a physical standpoint, because he's always just in the chair. Um, but, yeah, he's... Definitely, like, he, he definitely keeps himself in shape. Um, it's worth pointing out, too, that, like, Rogue is in there as well. And I don't even know what she was doing. She was, like, doing squats or something like that, I think. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if she has any lines in this. I think this might be one of the ones where she doesn't have any lines. Yeah, it definitely gave Lenore Zan a day off for this one. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, um, I like too when Wolverine comes in and he's and he's angry uh, and he's and he's yelling at Xavier and all this like, 
what do you mean saber tooth's here? Like, you know, didn't you learn your lesson from last time? Um, and Xavier's like, well, you know, it's relax. Uh, and, uh, I prefer that you get some rest, but this is the beginning of the episode. We haven't even seen Wolverine do anything. So I like that Wolverine just comes in here demanding that like, I'm going to watch saber tooth. And Xavier's like, Oh no, no, no. Like you go get your beauty sleep, dude. Like (laughs) go relax. It's all good. Um, and Wolverine's like, yeah, I'm going to go watch him. (laughs) Yeah. So eventually he gets, uh, he finds out that Sabretooth is being kept in the basement. And it's it's interesting that they have this whole setup for this episode specifically, with Sabretooth being in the basement, because you think that they would, like, try to make it a Jubilee episode to make it more like the comic, mm-hmm. or at least, I don't know, the only part of Failing's Covenant that I read is the stuff that's the lead-up to Generation X. Oh, uh, Okay. Okay. So, where they've got, you know, Sabretooth, and then Banshee, who appears in the second episode, I believe, and there's Jubilee, and then there's Emma. Um, Which, she's she's nowhere around in this, but... Let's see. I I was just thinking, though, that it'd be interesting if they were setting up Generation X. Oh, yeah, that would be... That would have been cool. Um, yeah. that, that actually would have been really cool, especially because like at the time, you know, so this episode is airing in September of 96. They've been working on it probably for a few months at this point. Um, so at least, you know, spring or summer of 96, like at this point, Generation X had kind of taken off um, and it was like a huge, a huge seller uh, when it was debuting. I'm pretty sure it was in 95 that it debuted. I, I could have my years wrong. So maybe it was like concurrently the phalanx stuff was happening and so as they were writing this episode they didn't know that generation x was happening um but either way like if if the if if, with how like popular gen x was when it kind of first launched you would have thought that you know maybe they were going to do that with with this episode as well as kind of set up for like a spin-off show yeah i mean maybe they didn't want to bring them into animation because they were specifically doing the whole Generation X TV movie is supposed to be was supposed to be like a pilot. They were going to do a whole series that was live action. Yeah, um, yeah, it could be. <laughs> I don't know where that fits in the timeline of it, but I was just thinking because Sabretooth being in the basement is also like a thing uh, from the Generation X setup. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. They links. So. Wolverine visits him. Uh, Sabretooth mentions Silver Fox. Uh, Wolverine's like, why are you piece of... And he gets cut off. And <laughs> Sabretooth sounds kind of off. He sounds kind of weird. I don't think that's his usual voice actor. Maybe it is. I don't know. He, he sounded kind of weird there yeah. to me. But Wolverine also seems to be thinking that because based on his scent, uh, he can tell that that's not really Sabretooth. And then uh, leaps out of the frame to attack him. Uh, so then we've got we've got a mysterious caller calling up Xavier. He looks a lot like Mister Sinister. Surprise, he's Mister Sinister. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Who's that Pokemon? Yeah, he's got the the silhouette. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like Sinister. What? And uh, 
Mr. Sinister and Xavier, they, they Zoom call about this infectious <laughs> organism that's all over when suddenly a circuity tentacle grabs Xavier from behind and drags him off. Um, Beast is all out listening to jazz when he gets attacked by the same sort of techno-organic sort of stuff that's going on. And he finds that all the other X-Men have been imprisoned inside of these weird stasis cocoons. And Beast throws a grenade at it, which is something he does a lot across these two episodes. He throws explosives at things that he just has on him. It just bombs what he can. But he, he tries blowing up what he can. He jumps out the window. He Some of it splatters onto the ground, so he puts it in a little Petri dish, and it just consumes it. And so he's kind of concerned about that. But then a bunch of government agents come up in hazmat suits, and Beast is immediately suspicious about them. Uh, he thinks something's up. Like, how'd they know to get here already after, like, no time has passed. Uh, yeah, he even points out that, like, there was no no planes or, or helicopters. Like, he points out that there's no transportation. Yeah, um, they just they showed just, up. They're just there. And he's like, hold, this is weird. Like, how did you get here? There's no there's no transportation. So, yeah. Yeah. And then they all form together and they become a robot, like little Transformers becoming <laughs> a big Transformer. <laughs> so, Beast gets into Wolverine's Jeep to escape and he it dries off and we get a close-up of the the gas can attached to the back, which is also covered in circuits. But he's got a friendly face on because he's Warlock and he announces that he comes in peace. He tells be selfish friend. Uh, I love the way that Warlock talks. I love the how he has his own grammar. Yeah. It's a little inconsistent, though. I've noticed that uh, there were a few times where he said me or I, and he should have said self. Yeah. Uh, but whatever, it's fine. <laughs> Early on, they he does it on purpose, mm-hmm. where he's like, self is, and then he tries to correct himself. And he goes, I yeah. am. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's more or less how I read Warlock's voice. Um I imagine it as being like a little higher and a little more synthesized than that, but mm-hmm. it's mostly whoever they got uh, seems to have it. And she yeah. helps Hank escape the phalanx by becoming like a sort of wing jetpack thing. And he, they lift off, and Warlock explains his backstory where, in this continuity, he has a life mate, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. His species, like equivalent of like a wife or something like that, and basically she turned into the the phalanx turned her into the sort of thing that's attacking beast. Uh, because Warlock explains how they're both they both didn't want to be assimilated and they both wanted to do their own thing, so that's why they fled to Earth and they got followed there. And yeah, he he kind of explains it right where it's like they're, they're members of this race. And once they reach like maturity, then they assimilate into the phalanx. Yeah. Right. And it it seems like, and and when it came time for them to assimilate in, they were like, nah, like we want to do our own thing. Yeah. And then they, they were able to get in their ship and escape. I like how their ship is the same stuff that they are just like 
every structure on their like home world is also all the same. Yeah, because like I think we hadn't gotten a look at Warlock's home planet in the comics at that point. I think that yeah. was a bit later, and someone decided to call it Kivich. Oh, like, nice. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. cool. Nod the hat there. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember who came up with the name though. It wasn't Bill Sienkiewicz. Right, yeah. Named himself. (laughs) Uh, Then, let's see. Beast does some testing, and he discovers that mutants are fully immune to being assimilated by the phalanx, and that it it, uh, is a bit slower in absorbing organic stuff, but it can still do organic stuff as long as it's not mutant and that it travels through conductors, like electricity, I believe is what he's, how he explains it. Yes. So basically anything metal, it just can instantly like move through. Uh, and so he tries to contact President Kelly. Uh, doesn't really think that out too much, because he realizes <laughs> too late that it's a trap. He's not, in fact, calling the president. And... So they try to get out of there. Beast contacts Forge and plans to meet up with him. And Warlock explains that the only way that he'll be able to tell if it's really Forge is if he scans him in person. And so three-fourths of the way through the episode, Cameron Hodge shows up. <laughs> which I, I feel... <laughs> I feel I feel really weird like how they how they do that. He just kind of like shows up like way later through the episode. They're just like, yeah, he's he's a robot. I'm like, all right, okay. <laughs> uh, but I do love how he's still really freaky looking. Um, I guess they made him more like a worm than a scorpion yeah. to make him less nightmare fuelish. But he's still he's still pretty up there. I imagine. Some kids were freaked out by that because <laughs> he's talking to this techno-organic pillar that's like covered in human heads. Yeah. <laughs> and just the more I describe it, the more it sounds like it's just absolutely nightmare feel there. <laughs> yeah, it almost sounds like sci- like uh, technologically Lovecraftian. Um, yeah. But yeah, like it, it's very unsettling. This like glob of techno-organic column with, like, just these human faces on, like, the end of these tendrils. It almost reminds me of, um, have you played Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time? I haven't yet. Okay, all right. Well, I don't want to spoil anything, but there is a dungeon that you go through that's, like, kind of a horror dungeon, and there's a creature that comes up out of the ground and he kind of has a face like that. And like, that was the first thing that I thought of when I saw this thing. And like, that was a pretty creepy part of the game. It wasn't like very scary or anything like that. I mean, it's a Nintendo 64 game, you know, um, it's, it's not like resident evil or anything like that. Um, but it was just kind of like a creepy part of the game, very creepy dungeon. And that was like a really creepy creature where it has like these tendrils that would like grab you and then it like kind of moves doesn't really walk it just kind of like moves over to you and then it has like this little face thing that like comes down and that's what it looked like and i was like like i'm actually getting kind of like creepy vibes from this thing yeah yeah it's it kind of reminds me of like i haven't read it but i've seen all the covers for uh, god emperor doom Dune, yeah, 
Dune, yeah, from the Dune series with the sand and the worms. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the face coming out of the worm, like that's a that's a reoccurring thing that appears yeah. in those covers. Yeah, it's pretty creepy, pretty spooky stuff. <laughs> um, so, anyways, the Beast and Warlock uh, go to the building that Forge tells them to go to. Uh, Hank is just like, please don't do that. Well, Warlock's doing, like, sticking his eyes out. Uh, it kind of gives me the same vibes as, like, Qui-Gon Jinn with Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> just, <laughs> <laughs> I don't... When he does the tongue thing and he, like, yeah. eating the food off yep. the table. Because, <laughs> uh, like, they're both kind of in the same vein, I guess. Like, Warlock and Jar Jar Binks, but I think Warlock is more, like, Lovable? Yeah, likable. <laughs> but there, it feels like George Lucas wanted that sort of thing, wanted to have, like, this, this cartoon character that, like, lives among, like, normal people yeah. existing in sort of the same spot. Um, I guess there's also, like, the Roger Rabbit connection. That was kind of a comparison I made. Yep. Uh, let's see. So, Mr. Sinister exits the building... We're not told that it's Mr. Sinister, but it's a guy who looks like Mr. Sinister wearing, you know, the classic uh, hat, trench coat, cartoon disguise. Uh, but he mixes it up a little. Instead of use, instead of accessorizing with the sunglasses, he's got, like, a kind of scarf over his mouth. I guess to hide all those fangs. <laughs> uh, so they go inside. They go into Sid's grill, and Quicksilver's there. Your favorite of the non <laughs> non mutant X Men members. That's right. Number one out of five, and not Warlock. Hey, it was in solidarity with Peter David. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we find out that the waitress is actually Warlock's life mate in disguise, and it's kind of weird that he didn't pick that up because he said that, like, he's got eyes to see. Um, he can, like, detect whether or not something's real. But we'll we'll let it pass. She kind of looks like magic, I think. She's got, like, the bangs, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. Uh, but anyways, she just absorbs Forge's robot leg. And then there's a assimilated crowd that's trying to get in. There are all, like, robot zombies that are trying to break in there. And Beast does what he does best. He bombs the place. (laughs) (laughs) And Warlock turns into a new leg for Forge, so he can wear him around. (laughs) Run away. And then then Quicksilver earns his uh, number one spot on my list by being like, I'll grab the van, and he runs out to the van, and then yeah. immediately gets assimilated. Yeah, the van immediately like, gets assimilated. Yeah. And they're just like, no, don't do that. Oh, they got it. <laughs> I was like, oh man, I was really excited for Quicksilver. <laughs> yeah. It feels weird that they wrote him in if they're just going to do that. If like, <laughs> right? He's not even there for like two minutes. <laughs> yeah, he just runs around the corner. And the van, they, they immediately assimilate the van and put him in one of those little cocoon things, too. Yeah. I was like, oh, jeez. <laughs> then Mr. Sinister saves him with his Sinister jet, 
And I'm looking at this thing, I'm like, that looks like it'd make a really cool toy. They didn't make a toy out of that. That'd be, yes. <laughs> that'd be really disappointing. Yeah, that would be cool. That It's pretty cool. Like, it, it almost looks like it's a Star Trek ship. Yeah, like, when I first like a, saw it, I was like, oh, is this like a, uh, what is it, the, um, oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank and now I feel like an idiot. The, the, uh, the Bird of Prey from the, uh, yeah, Klingons. Klingons. The, the, yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm like, oh geez. Well how, no, I can't forget what they're called, not now. Yep. <laughs> and then Warlock identifies the tower that we saw earlier, uh, that has Cam- Cameron Hodge in it as the spire, uh, which is going to be used to summon the rest of the phalanx. So they gotta get rid of that. Then we get a weird outro in the credits. I did not understand this at all. I've no context for it. Uh, Rogue is there with her boyfriend Cody and there's like an alien cyborg thing that, that takes her powers <laughs> and then it's over. <laughs> it, whatever's happening here is just plays over the credits so I don't know if there was like context to that in a previous episode or if they, they talk about that at all in the book. <laughs> or if no one's ever mentioned that and it just happens once and then... <laughs> Yeah, like, I don't know if maybe they they were like, hey, for this last season, when we do our credits, we'll just have, like, scenes from previous episodes play again. Um, I noticed that, too, though, because it was like the end credits come up and they're flashing all the names of all the people. And then, yeah, just like a random scene from Love in Vain, which uh, was like season three. Uh, like, it was a long, a long time ago. Like, I, I, I don't know how many episodes ago it was that I covered that. I feel like it was late season three or early season four that they had love in vain. So like, it was quite a while ago. Um, I don't know why they would have chosen that scene. Cause it doesn't really have anything to do with the phalanx other than it's another alien race that came to earth. I get like, you know, like their version of the brood almost. So kind of, it's like the, in the same vein as this episode, but yeah, it seems weird that they would do that. And I don't think they did that in the next episode. I think it was just regular end credits. Yeah. Yeah, I I was looking for some kind of context in the next episode, and there there was none. They just go straight to the credits. <laughs> but anyways, that's our first episode. And now on to episode two. So Sinister figures out that the Phalanx are the ones who attacked his mansion so that they could get all the genetic information that he has on mutants so that they could figure out how to assimilate them finally. Um, basically kind of like a disease sort of overcoming uh, like the body's defenses, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And the gang goes and they find a lab that they can use. Um, they specifically go to Muir Island for that. Uh Meanwhile, Cameron Hodge is introducing himself to Logan, and he mentions that the Phalanx repaired his body when it was damaged in the fight with the X-Men on Genosha. And he also notes that Wolverine's flesh is particularly resistant against assimilation, but his adamantium-laced bones are not. So that basically just means that they can use him to, to fix their problem of not being able to assimilate mutants that they can get information from him and study him. And then we cut to Mirror Island, and it's 
pretty refreshing to see an adaptation that acknowledges that Moira is Scottish. It it's really weird that they decided that for like the movies she should be an American CIA agent and then <laughs> basically Indiana Jones when she comes back in, in Apocalypse. <laughs> it's kind of well, like okay. I I want dude, I wonder if like Hickman was watching the the beginnings trilogy, right? And he's watching these and he's like, wouldn't it be cool if there were different versions of Moira? And like, that's where he came up with the concept of Moira X. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> this is like from the terrible version of Moira that we got in the, uh, in the, in the X-Men movies. <laughs> yeah. And then the post credits one from, which I'm yes. trying to remember if she shows up earlier in the last stand. I don't know. No, There's something to foreshow. Yeah, yeah. She just shows up at the end. She just shows she? up. Yeah, and uh, well, no, you're right. There was a scene earlier because when Xavier is teaching the class about ethics, he has Moira introduce the dude who's like in a coma, and um, she she only has like three lines where she's like, "This guy was in a coma. He hasn't had any higher brain function for like nine years." And then Xavier, like, pauses the, the conference, and then he asks the class, like, what are the, the moral, like, what are the moral implications of putting the mind of, like, a father of three into this body? Um, and then that was the one where, um, and, and Kitty's like, well, but, like, you know, we're mutants, shouldn't we have, like, a different set of ethics? Like, we've evolved past humankind, so shouldn't we have, like, an evolved set of ethics as well? They don't really ever answer the question, but yeah, so we get Moira in that scene, and then that way, that way we know who she is in the post-credit scene. I always forget that there's that one little, like, establishing scene with her. Yeah, because I, I remember them talking about uh, the ethics of, like, what if someone had a twin brother who was in a coma, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't remember the uh, them actually showing Moira the first time that they, they mentioned that. Yeah. It's like a, it's like like a Zoom call kind of like a like a teleconference oh, yeah. and and so yeah. she she gives the breakdown of like the comatose guys like stats. Yeah. And so so yeah, so we had her established and then you know, nothing and then completely redone <laughs> as as an American spy. <laughs> and then yeah. like you said like Indiana Jones. <laughs> um, yeah. For the for the uh, the like, uh, they're not really sequels, they're, but they're not really prequels. I, I don't know, like the just the yeah the beginning it's wild, of this trilogy. Yeah. It's wild how fast and loose they played with continuity. Like <laughs> when you see something like the the wikis for these things, where they they try to insist that like the Emma that was in X Men Origins Wolverine isn't Emma Frost, and she's just called Emma, right, right. separate character. And it's like, uh, I, I guess. I think they just forgot there, though. I don't, I don't think they put that much thought into it. Like, I think you're thinking about this way more than anyone working on these movies did. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. They're like, who have we used as a main character? And they're like, not Emma Frost. And someone in the room is like, we used Emma before. And they're like, as a main character? No. All right. Cool. Like, then, then we'll use her then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, the one thing about the Muir Island scene in this 
is it breaks with tradition, Quinn, because every time we've gone to Muir Island, seasons one through four, any time we've gone there, we always have the establishing shot of the facility from the outside with the sign that says Muir Island Research Facility and, like, the bagpipe little, like, fanfare. And they they robbed us of that well, no. in this episode. So I was up in arms when I like I was waiting for it and it and it didn't happen and I was like oh oh, oh strike three season five like I just skipped strike one and two like just strike three season five <laughs> I was about to worst, ask what are worst they? season <laughs> hands down worst season <laughs> yes um oh and then we've got a million pot there that's that's a thing that's <laughs> happening. <laughs> I like that Muir Island is now just like the island of Xavier's ex-lovers. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Okay. And then, so the gang gets together, they do their science thing, they develop a virus that will destroy the phalanx. Uh, But there is the possibility that it could kill Warlock's life mate. And he's like, I'm willing to take that risk. Sacrificing her life. <laughs> Some of you may die, but that's a chance I'm willing to take. <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so Sinister's jet gets assimilated, and then it transforms into the giant phalanx robot monster, and the gang starts blasting it. They just come in and they start blasting, blasting, blasting voice, blasting hand blasts, uh, blasting everywhere. Just shooting this guy, uh, shooting uh, Warlock's life mate. Um, they're forced to retreat, however, and so they start to escape in a plane, uh, but the Phalanx captures Banshee, and then it starts to assimilate Moira, who got uh, basically like it grabbed her leg, and Sinister's like, oh yeah, she's lost, so he pushes her <laughs> out of the plane. <laughs> Which I'm like, yeah, <laughs> he was kind of in the right there, but he was, uh, he didn't have to be that direct about it. Well, maybe he did, because they were probably going to die, but, yeah. you know. <laughs> but the whole thing with, like, Sinister working with them just reminds me a lot of, of House of X, Powers of Ten. Like, him specifically being there with Moira and with Xavier, mm-hmm. and they're all part of a thing that's, like, working together. Uh, yeah. But I guess we know that this version of Moira isn't really a mutant because it can assimilate her off right off the bat. Right off the bat. Right. Uh, so that just had me thinking about how they they decided that she'd be the only human to get the legacy virus. I don't know. Uh, but anyways, the gang decides to go to an Arctic base belonging to Magneto and he's pretty depressed and worn out. He's got a beard, all his gloves and cape and other purple things. He's just got that sitting all over the ground and he's not too interested in Xavier's pitch of not letting the world be destroyed until Beast brings up that the Phalanx have his son Quicksilver uh, he was in prison, so I guess that was the reason why he was in the episode, so that Magneto can be like, oh, I care now. <laughs> I got a reason to, for us all not to die. <laughs> yep. Turns out they just needed Pietro in here so they could fridge him for Magneto, 
who, yep. when I was watching the episode, I was watching it with my younger son, and he had watched these episodes recently. And uh, when they go to the Arctic and they, like, walk in before they reveal that it's Magneto, my son's like, get ready, Dad, for the world's saddest Santa. It's <laughs> like, what? And then it was, and then they revealed Magneto and he's wearing like all red and he's got his yeah. beard and he's like, see, sad Santa. <laughs> An accurate description. <laughs> I was I like, all right. this episode, Sad Santa. Phalanx <laughs> Covenant. Yeah. Uh, so now that Magneto's on board, they make a quick stop in Newfoundland to grab a sample, which, uh, takes the form of Hodge, and he kind of, like, just communicates through this, because they've got, like, the whole hive mind thing going on. Uh, and he reveals his master plan to assimilate all organic life and get rid of organic reproduction, which is the source of mutations. So, basically, he's willing to get rid of humanity to to make sure that there aren't mutants. It's, like, how much he hates mutants. <laughs> which is crazy, because, like, even... All the other villains would be like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll draw the line somewhere. And he's like, no, I'd rather be like a robot worm freak than be a mutant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd rather be this giant horrifying machine than something dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> like, we got to have law and order here. We got <laughs> we got to become robots. <laughs> uh, but Sinister and Magneto just get tired of listening to him, and they... they Get him with the virus. <laughs> and yeah, that was turns, awesome. It turns out that it works. Sinister's just like, nope, I've had enough. And he's just like, like virus. Do I sound them. like this when I monologue? Wow, no wonder <laughs> you guys hate me. Well, I, I mean, in, in all fairness to Sinister, and especially to Magneto, um, Cameron Hodge actually uses the term final solution. Yeah, like, I noticed that. Like holy crap, dude! I don't like, feel like they would cross a line. Like, how did the how did BSNP let them use that phrase? Like, oh my gosh! Like, I was shocked when he like, when they actually kind of, said the words. The kind of like tame things that they go no one like oh yeah you can't say die you can't say stuff and then like they they don't cross the line though on like invoking the Holocaust. Right. Yeah. Like he he literally says the phrase. Final solution. I was I was shocked. Like I did not expect them to actually say that. Yeah, because um, don't they just talk about like Magneto being like a prisoner during the war and kind of just be sort of vague about it? Yeah, yeah. yeah like in in like all the way back in season one, uh, like episode three, Enter Magneto we see a lot of his backstory and then we see a lot more in like episode four deadly reunions, right? Like where he comes back and Xavier even like goes into his mind and replays the moment when like oh, yeah. child or child Magneto's family was like attacked. Um, but like they stay away from uh, Holocaust references. They stay away from World War II references. They don't ever make mention of the fact that Magneto is Jewish. Um, like they don't talk. They don't talk about it. They don't touch upon it. And yet here we are in like season five, this random phalanx episode, and they're throwing out the phrase "final solution." I yeah, I I was I was stunned. I was like, oh my gosh, they actually went there for a kid's cartoon and let him say it. I'm 
I'm shocked. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I do love that he immediately is like, "Nope, we're not listening to this guy anymore. We're gonna shut him up. We're gonna we're gonna kill him. You gotta yeah. kill him. You gotta let me kill him, Xavier." Just straight up virus done. And Xavier just being like, "Oh, I guess it doesn't count. If they're robots. I guess he's already dead." Okay, I'll let you have this one, Max. You can kill away. Um. So, let's see, where were we? Uh, oh, yeah, also, Beast suggests that they go to the Spire, which this is the first time that they, they confirm that it's the Empire State Building, that they kind of nested up in there. Um, and meanwhile, Hodge is gloating to Wolverine that the Phalanx can now assimilate mutants, which he displays by detonating uh, one of Gambit's playing cards. We see yeah. Gambit all circuited up, and, you know, Hodge is the throwing throwing thing um but they reveal that the phalanx can only assimilate one mutant at a time so i guess that was the one they chose to go with uh but they choose a more powerful one the second time xavier who they've captured i just realized i forgot to mention that and it's important uh amelia or, or no did they capture him i think i'm reading it wrong i think they're planning on capturing him no, they yeah they captured him way back at the at the mansion. He was one of the ones that was captured when Beast was escaping. Oh my god, I'm just realizing this entire time. I for some reason I thought that he was with them. I mentioned that like two or three times. Like I've mentioned him being in scenes, like him being on uh, uh, Muir Island when that didn't happen. Uh, him yeah. being with Magneto when that didn't happen. That's, yeah, no, uh, Forge is the one that's with them. It's, yeah, it's no, uh, Beast and, and Forge and, and Sinister. <laughs> no, I'm just remembering this now, because, like, I remember he wasn't at the diner. He wasn't anything. I don't right, yeah. I don't know how that <laughs> thought got into my head. <laughs> uh, but anyways, Amelia transports, Amelia Vought transports everyone into the Thalings-infested basement of the Empire State Building, and she and Forge go to free Jean and Polaris first, because they can boost Forge's shield. Uh, Sinister then frees Scott, who immediately tries to blast his face off. He's like, what is Sinister doing here? Of course he did this. Yeah, I should have known you were behind this. And they gotta be like, calm down, calm down, this time he's on our side. We gotta, we gotta work with him to, for the world not to get destroyed. He cares because, you know, the world is where he keeps his stuff. Yeah. So. I like the way Jean talks to Cyclops too. It's like she she falls short of saying like shut up, but like the tone that she takes with him when she like walks over, she's like he's on our side, Scott. Like has all this attitude with him. It's like whoa, it clearly we we missed something in between season four and five. <laughs> yeah, and then Warlock uh, goes and he releases the virus on the core, which reverts everything back to normal. Uh, we see everything shifting back to normal, and we see uh, a cyborg guy lose his cyborg parts, and or, or no, he still has cyborg parts, but he bemoans the fact that he's more human now instead mm-hmm. of being all assimilated. And I'm I'm guessing that's Donald Pierce. I I, I, I haven't watched. Was, I think that was supposed to be Cameron Hodge because uh, one of the things that Hodge said was like. The, the the they started by assimilating his arm and leg, oh, and so when when, yeah. when the phalanx leaves this guy, he's got like a metal arm, 
and a metal leg, and he's he's like yelling like flesh because yeah. he's flesh again. Like so, I'm pretty sure that was supposed to be Cameron Hodge. That makes sense. <laughs> I, I kind of I guess I just blanked out because like he he didn't look like a worm. Right, right. When they showed him changing. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, I forgot. He's a guy. That's right. I guess that all melted <laughs> off by that point. Uh, so then Beast goes and checks on Warlock, and he's like, Warlock, you're all right. And then he goes, that is debatable, self-friend Hank. And so I thought that was a cute little moment. And for a few seconds, it seems like Warlock's life me. just didn't make it. But then a few seconds later, he finds out that she's fine and then restored to her original form uh, factory setting as it is um, Scott is wondering aloud where Sinister is while he runs into an alley in the background <laughs> which I, I thought was really funny yeah like where is he and he's like you'll get me some other day <laughs> I'll, I'll get you some other day something like that um, yeah well, he he's got like his hat. He's, he's got yeah. like the hat, the jacket on too, which is it's so weird to see Sinister wearing like street clothes. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't do subtlety. I mean, his name is Mister Sinister. He like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he knows he knows how it all looks. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, so then Warlock asks Forge and Beast to help him uh, build a way to return to his home world. Uh, which I was kind of confused at for a second about, but then he clears it up and he states that he wants to like liberate his people from the Nexus, which I guess is the whole hive mind thing that they've got going on. Um, though, like, I don't know, do they do they want to be liberated? Like, is that I don't know. I'm trying to figure out if that's just like what their people do, and like he just didn't want to be part of it. But I mean, I guess that's his right to not be part of it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how these alien civilizations work. You always have to wonder, like in in, in civilization civilizations like that, you know, do, do the people just do what they do because that's what they've always done? And like, if they knew there was an option to do something else, would they choose individuality? Like, it almost makes me think like his story is the same as Prometheus from Anthem by Ayn Rand. I have not read it. Oh, okay. Yeah, we I read it in high school um for like English class. It's like a really short little book, but it's like this it's Ayn Rand, right? So it's like this dystopian authoritarian um society where everyone's job is chosen for them based on their own aptitude and like reproduction is determined based on like genetic matches and that sort of thing. And one of the guys his job is like a street sweeper and He's like, hey, wait, this kind of sucks. Like, this is a terrible life. And he finds a way to escape this society through, like, a sewer. And he, when he gets out of, like, this city, he realizes there's, like, there's nothing. And so he just wanders in the wilderness, and he comes across this cabin, and he finds a book there. And it's the the myth of Prometheus, right, from, like, Greek mythology, the guy that, like, stole, yeah. you know. Fire from the gods. It, and exactly. And liver picked out forever. Yep. Like birds. Yep. <laughs> well, he, he's, he skipped over the bad part. He's just like, all right, this guy returned. Pretty much what he, he what he determined is like he equated the authoritarian society as like the gods of Olympus, and it was his job to return fire or, in this case, individuality back to his society. So he like 
he goes back in there and I don't like I I I'm I haven't read it since high school, so it's been like twenty five years, twenty two years. Um, but he, like he goes back and he you know confronts the society and like tells everyone like no, you can actually make your own decisions, and everyone's like what? And so suddenly they so I'm like I'm 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 just I'm looking at Warlock's plan and I'm like oh cool he's like uh, the Prometheus guy from Anthem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's the episode, and it's. It's interesting how the 90s series treats the New Mutants, I think, because uh, doesn't Cannonball appear, like, in a few episodes from this? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and then, like, Wolf Spain is just, like, around in X-Factor, right? Yeah, she's in the Cold Comfort episodes. We actually get to see her kind of go toe-to-toe with Beast for a little while. Yeah, and then Sunspot, I think, is making his debut in X-Men 97. Right. So, like... It's pretty odd how they're just all around. Mm-hmm. Like this, how for how for this one they were just like, we're gonna do a warlock episode. We don't have the new mutants or anything, but we're just gonna do a we're just gonna introduce warlock. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I think I feel like they did a decent job um, with the story. Uh, like I I like these two episodes. Uh, it's like extremely linear story, right? Like there's no real like character development. It's just, here's the characters. And then it's like a into B into C into D into E like, you know, it's just a series of events, but like, they were still fun. It's still fun to episode storyline. I thought like, I thought it was, it was really fun. Like there were some, there were stakes involved. Um, And of course, like beast gets a lot of the spotlight, which is awesome because I really love, X-Men, the animated series Beast, like he's the definitive version of the Beast. Um, so anything with, with him, uh, we get to have some, you know, Mr. Sinister and some Magneto. I like it because we got uh, Quicksilver and Polaris and Forge. So, like, I'm always going to be on board with X-Factor appearances. So Yeah. <laughs> did, did you like them? Yeah. I thought it was interesting how a lot of the episode is, like, bringing in familiar faces from from previous stuff. Yeah. Like they're like, yeah, we're bringing back Sinister, we're bringing back Magneto also, though, we're bringing back Amelia Vought, we're going to Muir Island. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, that's that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Nice. And I can't believe I remembered uh, Xavier being there, though, for entire <laughs> scenes where he's not. <laughs> I just made that up. <laughs> The Mandela effect. Yeah, that's what exactly I was thinking. Like, I was just like, <laughs> oh no, what's real? Like, I just had, like, I bet when you go back to, to this, like, there's just a part in, like, real time where I'm, like, questioning reality and just being like, <laughs> oh no, what's real anymore? I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> oh, well, when you've been assimilated by the phalanx, is anything real anymore? I don't know. Am I assimilated by the phalanx? <laughs> is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Are we human or are we dancer? I, I don't even know anymore. <laughs> oh man, nice. it was well. It was good. Yeah, no, great episodes. You you did an awesome job breaking those down. Um, like I actually 
took relatively thorough notes for this one since it's been a couple of weeks since I recorded. And I don't think you missed a single beat that needed to be called out. Like you did such a great job summing up these two episodes uh, and I got to relive them. So that was awesome. So great job there. Thank you. Um, and then, yeah, any uh, any parting words for the episode? Or uh, if you'd like, I, I could just have you plug your own, you know, private endeavors and stuff. Yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm mostly just writing and editing stuff for uh, Gatecrashers. It's uh, gatecrashers.fan. And we've also got a podcast. So, uh, yeah, you can listen to us there. It. It's pretty fun. I uh, recently interviewed Patton Oswalt, the voice of Remy the Rat. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, he wrote a comic, so, or he co-wrote a comic, so I got to, I got to ask him a few questions about that. <laughs> Dude, very cool. Yeah. And is the, uh, is the podcast just the same? Gatecrashers? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, that's Dude, good. I'm gonna check that out. Sure. I'm not. I'm not like a regular on it because we just have a whole, um, like our entire staff, like kind of circles on that. But I also did like the the alien episode for them. Where I got oh, to talk cool. about all the alien movies. Yeah. <laughs> and then eventually, I'm gonna do uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion and what was the other one? Back to the Future. Yeah. Oh, nice. And when when you do uh, Neon Genesis, are you going to talk about the fact that, like, in the dubbed version versus the subtitled version, there's, like, whole subcontext and actual context that's, like, completely different? Um, I might. I watched it with um, subtitles, like, the first two times I watched it. And then I've only recently been watching it with the, with the dubbing. Interesting. Yeah. I've actually never seen either, um, but back when I was, like, fairly recently, which is why I still remember, um, I was looking up some animes. I think for my daughter, she was asking for, like, recommendations for anime. And, like, all the anime that I watched, it was, like, Dragon Ball Z and um, Mobile Suit Gundam Wing. And then everything else I watched, anime style, was, like, not something that I would recommend to my teenage daughter. Like, I'm not going to have her watch Ninja Scroll <laughs> or, like, stuff like that. Um, uh, the, the anime that I watched as a teenage boy probably is not going to be stuff that she would have liked. So I'm like, I don't really know a whole lot of, of anime to recommend. So, like, I was doing research on, like, what anime is good for, you know, teenage girls and stuff. And uh, Neon Genesis came up on a lot of different lists. And then I, I stumbled upon an article where the writer of the article was like, yeah, in the like, if you read, if you watch it with subtitles, you get like this whole storyline with like two particular characters. But if you watch it in the dub, they just completely leave all of it out. And like, they don't even put it in subtext. It's just the, the, the relationship dynamic between these particular characters is just completely gone. And so I like I have no idea if that's actual or if that's like the dude's opinion or what. But I was like, oh, man, that's that's really big because I've watched Dragon Ball Z with subtitles and dubbed. And other than like some language stuff, it's the exact same story. It doesn't really make a difference which one you're watching. Um, same with like Mobile Suit Gundam Wing. It's actually a little easier to follow with the subtitles. Um, yeah. But 
I, like I had no idea that it, they would do something that major. So I think yeah. I think the change was they changed the line from love to like, but <laughs> like I I don't really think you can interpret it differently. Uh, I don't know. It's like a thing where people are like, oh yeah, if you change it to like, then people will automatically think it's platonic, and then you're just like looking at these characters like holding hands and stuff, and you're like, I, I don't think that's very platonic. I don't, <laughs> I don't think I would read that differently because they changed a, a word. Okay, all right. So it's not that, so it's not that big of a deal then. And yeah, whoever wrote the article sounds like was like letting themselves get really worked up over something that was probably nothing. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, I was just that stuck with me. I was like, oh man, that's how could they change this whole relationship? But if it's just one word and everything else is there, then yeah, all right. <laughs> I don't know, but I I haven't heard like the other dubs that they did before they had the Netflix one. Oh, okay. So. All right. Interesting. <laughs> but yeah, I just think it's a fascinating show about like uh, just mental health and stuff like that, and I, that's another thing that I've been writing an article about. Uh, just like how, just like adjusting to life in Florida, and also how that just compares and contrasts with the show, and how you know it's about a kid being thrust into this like situation that he doesn't want to be in, um, and how it kind of makes him miserable, but he also kind of has to do it, and he has to connect with other people uh, instead of isolating himself, and how like I'm kind of going through the same thing because I just. Oh, wow. I don't I don't like it out here. Oh yeah. I don't like the weather. I I lived in California my entire life and I just 2 years ago we we moved out here and I just I don't know. I I don't think I can escape it. I don't think I don't think I can like financially become able to just like get out of here. Oh dang. I'll I'll try to figure it out. I'll try to do something, you know. No. Yeah. Yeah, I can see because you were from like Southern California, right? Because I remember you would post like that you you were like, oh, we're going up to Disneyland again for the weekend, and you went yeah. to Comic Con and all that. So you were down there, right? Yeah. Um, so relatively large area, a lot of people. Um, even the like smaller towns, you still have access to like all these big things. And then you've been saying now you're in this like small town Florida. Like I can see that being like a huge difference. Yeah. Like even just going to like a few days ago, I drove out into the city uh, because we're in like a town that's outside of uh, Pensacola. Okay. uh, So like I went to the city and I went to Barnes and Noble and like, I don't know. It felt like a drastically different sort of thing, like a place where there's like culture and there's like, you know where there's art, whereas like here in in this town, there's there's not like people are just I don't know getting by. I guess. Dang. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds rough. Yeah, and when we moved out to Colorado, um, I was still relatively young. You know, and it's like you're in school, so you're kind of forced to make friends, regardless of what's going on. Like you're still going to be at school five days a week you're going to make friends eventually because there's you'll be with kids your own age. So even if you don't fit in at first, eventually you're going to meet kids that you have stuff in common with. So like moving out here to Colorado wasn't that that big of a difference, even though we moved from San Jose, like right in the heart of San Jose. Um, 
to at the time, like a relatively small town, like when we moved to Highlands Ranch, it was growing. Um, but it was still like a small town. Like I think our closest grocery store was like three and a half miles away. Whereas like when we lived in San Jose, we were like two blocks away from like five grocery stores. (laughs) Like you go up to this intersection, it's like you got Lucky's right here. You got food for less right there. You got Safeway over here. Um, we had like Costco behind that, like everything, like it was all right there. And then we moved to this one place and there was like nothing around and it took a few years. But I think by the time I was in high school, like the area had just like the growth there had skyrocketed and we suddenly had everything. Um, And so like the I didn't really have a whole lot of growing pains. But, yeah, I can see going from Southern California to a small town outside of Pensacola when you're like done with school, you know, so you're not forced into these social situations with children your own age, I can see that being a huge, huge adjustment. Yeah, I think that's the I think that's the roughest part. Um like finding and connecting to other people because there's there's no one my age around in my life because I'm I'm in my mid twenties and I'm working at Lowe's because I didn't finish college and that's like the only kind of job that I can get. I don't know, the economy's not great so I think even if I did have a diploma I wouldn't have a ton of options but there's there's no one there who's also like 20 something like everyone's either like above the age of 50 or they're like kids who are getting their first job like during high school or after high school and it's just like I did I don't know sometimes you know sometimes I can relate to like the older people more but it, it's still just like there's no one there, there's no one who's like enough like me you know yeah huh. that sucks Quinn yeah. um, I know that uh, I don't know when they usually do it but I know that Pensacola does sometimes have like a pretty decent sized con uh, Pensacon um, yeah. so there's always I, that I need to check that out yeah. yeah I'm sure you could probably find some like minded folks there yeah, I need to stop comparing it to to San Diego because <laughs> it's <laughs> right, not it's right? not going to be the same. You can't have anything that's really on the same level as San Diego Comic Con. But hopefully, I can find a way to get in there next year. <laughs> but it, it it sucks being on the outside of it because I've I've been there like every year from like 2012 to 2019. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. And it was just great, and, like, I know the lay of the land, I know how you get into every panel, I know how to, you know, where all the celebrities show up, like, which oh, bar dang. they frequent, and, oh, man. <laughs> I don't know, it's so weird being on the outside of it, like, how I was on the outside of it, like, the last two years, I believe, yeah, 2021, 2022, and then mm-hmm. this year. Well, it doesn't sound like you'll be missing too much this year, at least. Yeah, well... There's going to be a lot of like comic focused stuff, and that's that's mostly what I am into. Nice. When people talk about SDCC, they they mostly talk about like the movie stuff, and they're like, "Oh yeah, there's there's no comic stuff there." But it's it's a massive convention. Like you you can find stuff if you know where to look, and when you do, it's like a real treat. Like I. I think I showed the thing where I just ran into Alan Davis and he's oh. like, yeah, I'll do a commission for a hundred dollars. And I'm like, what? All right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And so I got him to draw Quentin Quire. 
<laughs> oh, that's very cool. And he was just like great conversation. And that's also how I decided to get into New Mutants because I just ran into a panel that had Phil Sienkiewicz and I'd never heard of his stuff before. Oh, wow. And, you know, I was like, I like the mainline X-Men stuff. I should try this New Mutants stuff. And nice. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, you'll have to check out Pensacon at least and, and see if you can't you know, find your tribe out there. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And uh, in the meantime, um, my listeners can find you, like you said, at gatecrashers.fan. And, of course, the podcast. Look that up. That sounds cool. I'll definitely check out your interview with uh, with Patton Oswalt. That sounds really cool. Yeah, that's the uh, Minor Threats one. That's the name of his comic. Oh, okay. Cool. So, yeah, should be, like, the most recent one. Or nice. second most recent, something like that. Right on. Sorry for just going on a whole rant there. I just realized <laughs> like we're doing the outro where you're just supposed to be like, this is my website, this is my social media. Like, <laughs> you're like, PS4 like, to like. <laughs> No, man, it's cool. Sometimes you just got to vent a little bit, um, and, and I'm glad that you were able to at least do that for a couple minutes on this pod with uh, with, with someone who's like-minded, you know, someone who, who shares your interests. It feels good. It's therapeutic. Yeah. I gotta let it out sometimes. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm sure it's not enough though. But yeah, I, I hope things get better for you uh, in the meantime. And and yeah, that you can find some people out there who who share your interests. Yeah, I I don't know a whole lot about Florida, but I always like my idea of like Pensacola was always that it was like one of the retiree towns. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know. It it is from. Yeah what I can tell. I mean, so, I'm, I'm in this small town that's outside of it. I'm in Gulf Breeze, which is like, it's, it's separated by like a, by a bridge. Like you've got to go wow. over the giant bridge to get to the city. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 It's, that sounds like a bummer. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that at the very least you were able to jump on here and, and spend a couple hours with me talking X-Men, uh, getting to hear your list of top five non-homo superior X-Men. Uh, it was excellent, excellent list. And like I said, uh, a fantastic breakdown of these two episodes. And Quinn, we'll have to figure out how to get you on for X-Men 97. I haven't quite figured out how I will be tackling that series as it comes out. Um, I will definitely be signing up for Disney Plus while that show is airing so that I can watch the episodes as they're coming out because I don't want to miss them. Uh, and I know that I'll be talking about them and covering them somehow, but I'm not quite sure what format it'll take. Uh, but I definitely work on uh, getting you back for that. Um, I don't think I, I think this is it for X-Men, the animated series. I think I've got the rest of season five booked up so so yeah i I just like in case i don't ever get to x-men 97 i'd just like to thank you for um always coming on the show when i've asked it's it's always been a lot of fun having you on and uh yeah like i said i I am planning to cover x-men 97 in in some way so whatever whatever that is i'll i'll make sure to reach out to you and try to bring you on for that as well yeah thank you
So there you have it, bub. That is my conversation with Quinn. Of course, our top five was a lot of fun to do. And although my number one pick probably is relatively disappointing, I have to have him on there at number one until Marvel finally rectifies their terrible retcon mistake by making Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch no longer mutants and no longer the children of Magneto. Until then, Quicksilver will always be number one on my list. Uh, of course, uh, some Lego talk in there. We actually had a whole bit that uh, that was cut out because it was kind of in between segments where we uh, discussed at length the leaked photo of the collectible minifigure series. So we were able to kind of dissect um, some low-res images of the Wolverine, Beast, and Storm, and I'm super excited for the reveal of those. Uh, you know, the actual like good quality reveals and leaks and all that. So hopefully those will be coming up for uh, pre-order soon on the Lego website as well. Of course, towards the end of our conversation, after our amazing breakdown led by Quinn of episodes one and two, Phalanx Covenant parts one and two. Uh, we did get a little serious there. So hopefully all of my listeners, I hope all of you uh, go out there and just throw some love Quinn's way. Let him know that uh, we're all on his team. We're all on his side and uh, hopefully things get better for him. Uh, but in the meantime, definitely check out his writing and listen to his podcast. I've had a chance to to listen to his interview with Patton Oswalt and it was really good stuff. Uh, really looking forward to to seeing where that comic series goes. Uh, as far as Saturday morning Snicktoons, as you can see, we're, we've made it. We are finally into season five of X-Men, the animated series. Hopefully we can get all of these episodes broke down and reviewed and discussed, and all of these will come out before X-Men 97 finally premieres. We're still waiting here at the end of July, still waiting for the release date. There's one more announcement regarding X-Men 97. For those of you who are Funko collectors, you may know that Amazon and Funko have teamed up to bring us bi-monthly collector's boxes called Collector Core. And the current month, as I'm recording this, we are towards the end of July. So right now the box is a box for the Marvels. And I believe that one closes here at the end of the month. And then for the next two months, we should be able to order the next box. And that is going to be an X-Men 97 related box. That is going to be the theme for the box. Of course, we don't know what's in it until they actually start to ship. But if history is any indicator, they've done three X-Men themed boxes already, two that are more like comic themed, and then one that was actually a 20th anniversary box for the original Fox movie series. And each of them can come with at least one Funko Pop uh, I, I think the first two each came with a, a Funko Pop and then a Rock Candy, but I don't believe that Rock Candy is something that they still do. I, I have no idea. Uh, the last one came with two Funko Pops, so we'll see what this one is going to come with. Usually they come with an article of clothing. I think the first one was a t-shirt. The second one was a pair of socks. And then usually a little knickknack or something else comes with it. I think the first box was like a patch and a pin and a comic book. And then the second box was a pen with a like a, a Wolverine um, mist. Uh, the I don't even remember what they're called, like the pop miniatures um, that you have like on top of the pen. So it's one of those with Wolverine. And then there was also like a little notebook that had the um, X Men or not the uh, Xavier Institute 
um, logo kind of emblazoned on the front. So I'm curious to see what this box will entail, but it's another X-Men one, X-Men 97. So definitely going to be snagging one of those once those go on sale. So just look for that if that's something that interests you um, in the next few weeks. I think by the time you're hearing this, there there may be like one week left to order the Marvels and then it'll go to the X-Men 97 box, which usually ships about two months later. So I believe the Marvel's box ships in August, which would make the X-Men 97 box shipping sometime around late October, early November, which so far seems to be when the consensus is that uh, X-Men 97 will finally be debuting as well. So hopefully we'll we'll see where that goes and, and that we're able to get all of season five done before X-Men 97 debuts. I've got most of the next few episodes lined up as well as a couple others. I don't have the full season booked quite yet. So if you've been a longtime listener, maybe you'd like to to come on to the show. Um, as you can tell, it's a it's very relaxed, very unprofessional. <laughs> uh, so uh, if that's something that interests you, like hey, I, I love X Men, the animated series. I'd love to talk about one of these episodes in what many fans consider to be the worst season. We'll we'll see if that holds up as we go through. But maybe you'd, you'd want to be a guest. Reach out via email talksnicked at gmail.com or uh, click the link in the show notes and join the talk and snick discord and let me know that you're interested in coming on as a guest uh, like i said i'm still looking to get all of the episodes scheduled there's still a few that are up in the air right now that are that are available so yeah let me know as far as everything else uh, no announcements for talk and snicked i do have something in the works there's a couple of comic storylines that i've always wanted to to talk about, not necessarily Wolverine heavy, but um, definitely X-Men related. So uh, I'm considering kind of mulling over doing sort of like what I did back in March when I covered the entire um, initial Peter David run of X-Factor over the course of one month, doing something like that for uh, one of these storylines that I, that I really love to cover. So uh, again, no announcements for Talking Snicked, but I do have some things that I'm working on. Maybe they'll come to fruition, maybe not. Although I do have uh, one special announcement for those of you who have listened to all of these Saturday morning Snicktoons episodes, one of my recurring special guest hosts, uh, frequent returning special guest host, Kurt Schmidt, has recently launched his own podcast via YouTube. So it is a video podcast on YouTube of which I am the co-host i am the uh the guest co-host so far for every episode it's kind of a thing that we're working on together but kurt is very much in the driver's seat it is called the cast without fear a daredevil comics podcast and the first two episodes can be found on youtube we've already got the third one recorded and he's working on getting that one released and we will be jumping together here to record the fourth episode very soon but we are going back through from daredevil issue one and working our way to modern day daredevil comics will we get there i don't know how long will it take who knows but we are definitely motivated to get at least to the frank miller daredevil stuff as quickly as possible so the first two episodes were already up to I think issue 12 or, or 13, something like that. Or, or maybe that's where we left off with, with episode three. Either way, we're, we're making a quick work of this Silver Age stuff. 
as we move into the upcoming uh, Gene Colan area or era. Uh, really looking forward to getting into those comics. But so far, it has been a lot of fun. So if you were a big fan of Kurt, or maybe you just, for whatever reason, you want more of me, uh, then go on to YouTube and check out The Cast Without Fear, a Daredevil Comics podcast. And like I said, we got two episodes up, so go check that out. Well, until next time, bub.